0: All right, so my name's Helen. I'm a compulsive overeater, um, and I have pictures. Um, I am, thank through the grace of God, maintaining about a 100-pound weight loss for about 18 and a half years, and that is totally and completely the grace of God, because when I got here, I could not stop shoving food down my throat you know that was my solution my whole life was the food and um today I have a different solution you know which is the program in God and well the same thing to me the program in God and um so um anyway let me tell you what it was like and what it was like was I was always the compulsive overeater from my earliest memories as a child and the things that I remember are um fear and food well primarily sugar um uh, a full-on sugar addict I was afraid of everything and everyone I had to watch out for my older sister I remember that all the time like thinking she's going to get lost if I don't watch her and you know I was just in um and I and a fear of course of people and um everything. So, um so that fear was a real recipe for a compulsive overeater, I guess. I don't know why I'm a compulsive overeater. It was somehow I found that to be my solution in life. Um <clears throat> So I grew up and my parents had, you know, my mother was the stay at home mom, made three meals a day, and I didn't want anything to do with the meals, I just wanted the sugar. I'd eat the sugar, the jello, raw jello, whatever I could get my hands on, and I was always comparing how much sugar I was getting with my sister, you know. And I, it always, or anybody I was with, I had to have more, you know. It was always about how I was going to get more. Um, and, of course, there was never enough. And I can remember eating so much. I made myself sick. I'm not bulimic. I never have been. But I just couldn't stop, you know. And um, I never felt okay in my own skin from my earliest memories. I remember I grew up with two girls that lived there was an in our neighborhood I'm going to get emotional now but um they were little petite beautiful little blonde girls and I felt so much less than I felt awkward and, and big and ugly you know for whatever reason and the reason I'm Emotional is they both passed away and one from suicide about two years ago. You know, so it's that comparing somebody else's outside with my inside, you know. And I was always less than. Didn't matter. So anyway, like I say, um, I just, it was all about the obsession all the time. Um, and it's a progressive disease. So by the time I was in... um Like, junior high school, um, I was so uncomfortable, and um, I started drinking alcoholically at about the age of 14. So then I had two things, you know, two solutions, right? So... so that was my life and I always like I I would compare myself to those girls in school who could get up in front of the classroom and talk or in front of the whole school some of those girls and I just look at them and I just remember looking at them and thinking how did they get that way like how can they do that how did they get that way and how did I get like I am like There's something wrong with me. I'm bad, stupid, ugly, uncomfortable. And I can still remember that feeling of uncomfortableness, if that's a word, in my own skin. You know that feeling in my skin. And and I always felt that way um, until I can remember going to parties and... um, I remember we'd go to parties at this one guy's house. His name was Butch. And his fa- his stepfather worked for Hostess. And in the kitchen would be all that stuff and Colt 45. So, uh, so that was it because that was it. Uh, and after about ten minutes, of shoving the food and you know drinking some of the cold words I was comfortable in my own skin like it says in the big that immediate I had that immediate sense of ease and comfort you know and that was it for me and then I could be comfortable I could talk to boys I could talk to anybody you know and so um so that's that was my life you know and um I had no clue about life. No, didn't, nothing. So um, when I was nine so my father died when I was 18. And then, lo and behold, a year later. So my solution was, because at that point, I had no idea how to live life. I was living on Valium, um, drinking alcoholically, and eating compulsively. And that was the picture of my life. No idea how I was going to live my life or what go what I was going to do in life no clue so my solution again my best thinking was to get married marry somebody who's going to take care of me and um so I married an older man isn't that funny a year after my husband my father died you know so Um, So that's what I did so I married this poor guy so we were both we were both very sick people because I didn't you know I only listened to somebody who mirrored back to me what I thought of myself so I thought I was fat and ugly so I found somebody who thought I was fat and ugly and needed work you know. And he was as sick as I was, you know, because when you're sick, you're not going to attract the picture of mental health, you know. So, and I wasn't the picture, far from it. And so anyway, and I remember going to the doctor. I had this very cute doctor in Venice, I remember. And uh, Dr. Bernie. And he... I went to him. I told him I have to go on a diet. I wasn't fat at this point. But I thought I was. Because my brain really is broken. It still is as far as that goes. Like, I can't look at myself and see what I look like. I can't look at food and know what's a normal portion for me. I can't do... It's broken, you know. So anyway, so the doctor said, but you're not fat. And I thought... And then he called his partner and said, is she fat? She needs to lose weight? And they both said, no, you're not fat. Well, I thought, they're just being nice. I didn't believe them for one minute. One minute. Who I believed was my ex-husband who told me I needed to lose weight, right? Because he was mirroring back to me what I thought of myself. So I went on. The first side I went on was the pregnant women's urine shot diet whatever and you eat 500 calories you get a shot every day and it was expensive so I thought it had to be expensive to work you know um and so anyway so I did that and then I got sick but I was on that diet for about I don't know how now a month or two months but then I lost weight and um And that weight stayed off. I was happy when I got sick and had to go off it, because then I could go off the diet. But I stayed that weight for an afternoon, as they say. You know, because the minute, the insanity of that whole cycle is that I'm going to go on a diet, lose weight, and then it's going to stay off after I start eating the way I used to eat, because I had no intention of not eating the way I had been eating, you know. So... So then that started the cycle that we hear over and over in these rooms. I'm no different from anybody else. Same thing. We go on the diet, lose weight, go off the diet, and start binging and gain all our weight back plus 10, 15. So I had done this for many years and ended up at like 260 pounds. Um, But by the time I was in my 30s, I couldn't go on diets anymore because the thought of going on a diet was so overwhelming. Because that's my solution to life, the food. I, you know, can't comprehend living without the food. You know, it was too much. So I would, um, so before I'd go on the diet, I'd go on a binge and then I never got to the diet, and I, would, I gained 10 pounds. So I was scared to death because I thought I'm just, I couldn't even think of going on diets because I knew I was going to gain 10 pounds before I, you know, and I was never going to go on the diet. So one thing, though, I found out about Overeaters Anonymous back in, like, I think it was 79 or 80, um, and I started going to meetings, and I knew that would work in my heart of course I knew it they gave me the big book I read war fever ran high in the New England town and thought what on earth does this have to do with the fact that I can't stop eating it, to me it was like a dry old textbook and I stuck it in my bookshelf but I didn't eat sugar for about a year and a half that was a miracle I had never gone without eating sugar I didn't work the steps I went to meetings um that OA back then was huge the meeting was like probably 150 people in this meeting in Downey that's where it was and the friend that I went there with that night I had dinner with her two nights ago and she is still struggling and she asked me all about the program and she um so we just had the greatest talk you know and um so that was wonderful so we're going to go to a meeting together and you know I don't know if she'll what will happen but you know it's a gift like that friend sitting across that kitchen table you know that's what it felt like that just sharing you know because she said you're so different and you were you're, you're a different person you have peas you know and most days I do I still have my day. so um anyway so um where was I oh uh so anyway so I found a way left you know because I thought I don't want to have to go to meetings with these people for the rest of my life are you kidding me so um anyway so I was left and I remember I started eating sugar at the holiday again Because somebody gave me this beautiful box of candy. I can still picture it in my mind. And I was off and running. So for the next, I don't know, 15 years, whatever that was, I had tried many times to get abstinent. And I could not. I'd go to meetings sporadically. I couldn't. I just wasn't ready. So finally, 1994, I left that husband. And I moved to Long Beach. And one of the first things I did was find out where the Overeaters Anonymous meetings were in Long Beach. And so there was one at the VA hospital on Friday night. Remember that? I don't know. I thought maybe you'd remember. And, um, and so um, I went for about three years on and off. Every once in a while, I'd ask somebody to sponsor me who I knew wouldn't make me do anything. You know, the softer, easier way still. I was in the meetings, but I'm still looking for the softer, easier way. And I really thought I was going to go to a meeting. I really thought this, because I remember. I thought I was going to go to a meeting and find a way to lose my weight without having to stop eating. I thought there was going to be a magic something that was going to happen to me I really believe that um and so anyway and you know I came to Overeaters Anonymous for one reason and one reason only I was 100 pounds overweight and miserable and I couldn't stop eating I did not come to get God I didn't come for a way of living I didn't come for any other reason I got all those things but I didn't know that that's What I was going to get here or that's what I needed I just wanted to lose the weight so I'm in this room a lot of people not weren't losing weight and uh, so one day I remember seeing this one woman and she was losing weight she was the only one in this meeting losing weight so God surrendered me January 17th 1997 it was God surrendered me I asked this woman, what will you sponsor me? She said, okay. So she says, well, what's your food plan? What are you going to eat? And I had no clue. And I said, I don't know. What do you eat? You know, the fact that those words even came out of my mouth. She told me what she ate, and I ate what she ate. And she told me to call her every night. I think it was at 630. And And that was the thing. I remembered five minutes. Ooh, I better hurry up. So, um... So I remembered thinking, forget the food. I'm not going to be able to call somebody at the same time every day, you know. So, um, but I did. It was, like I say, God surrendered me. um, And um, so she told me, go to three meetings a week. Call three people a day. uh, Call your food in every day. And that's what I did. I was so surrendered. I just wanted, I would just do whatever she told me to do, I would do. So anyway, so that was uh nineteen ninety seven. Thank God, it was the grace of God. So I've gotten so much in this program, uh I have a relationship with my higher power today. I um, today I'm uh you know, there have been times in my in my abstinence where I weighed and measured and there were times when I didn't. And you know what? When I have the serenity is when I weigh and measure. There's something for me um spiritual about throwing my food on that scale it's a surrender for me and um and so I um yeah my life is so different I know I'd be dead I think I'd be one of those people that they have to cut out of their house at when they die because I couldn't stop I just couldn't stop on my own you know lack of power and um so anyway so, um, my life today, um, you know, my daughter, my relationship with my daughter, my daughter moved to New York, 3,000 miles away. I have one daughter, big surprise that she moved that far away, and she, um, she... uh you know, I've been keeping my side of the street cleaner, trying to, for the last 18 and a half years. And my daughter has been very angry at me for a long time. And so, you know, I just had to keep remembering, keep my side of the street clean. And, um, you know, it's all in God's hands when that gets fixed. And the last time I went to visit my daughter, it was, which was uh, around July 2nd, Um, And I have a granddaughter, a three-year-old, that I'm madly, madly, madly in love with. And um, my daughter didn't get mad at me once. And she didn't get irritated. You know, you moms know if you have grown daughters. She did not get irritated. Nothing. It was a miracle. And the other day she texted me, I'm telling Lilia the clock story. And that was a miracle. Because I used to make, I made up this clock story. I would tell my daughter when she was growing up. It was just a story I made up. It changed different, you know, when I, and it just was really, I mean, that was a miracle to me that she I don't even remember what the story was, but obviously my daughter does. So that was powerful because I thought, you know, we don't always realize what comes out of our mouth stays with somebody their whole life, you know. So when I uh, came to Overeaters Anonymous, we had this great fellowship over there in Long Beach and was part of that. And as a matter of fact, I remember, I think was the first one who asked me to speak at a meeting. And I had to speak on the four-step, and I was just doing my four-step. And I was new, like in my, like maybe four, five, six months, something like that. And uh, and because I remember when I came in in the program, I thought, I thought, I'll do everything they tell me to do except I won't talk. Because I couldn't talk because I was afraid I'd cry, you know, and I was so self-centered. I thought I was shy, come to find out. I was self-centered, you know, so, um, anyway, so, um, yeah, so just everything's changed, now, life still goes on, you know what I mean, life on life's terms, life is not always perfect in a bowl of cherries, but I have the solution today, which is this program, the people in the program, God, of course, first, and, um, like, right now, I'm going through some difficulty, you know, with my work situation, and, You know it's hard it's hard and thank god i have the program because otherwise i'd be shoving the food i wouldn't even have a job i don't think i'd probably be on disability or something and um or i'd be dead or something i really do believe without this program for me this program is a program of life and death it really is it's what's given me my life and i see she's getting ready to hold that sign up okay so that's it thank you for letting me share and thank you Diane, for asking me to come. Okay. and welcome to the newcomers i forgot to say that okay after the seventh tradition is read this is the time oh for questions only there is no sharing at this meeting if you need to share please do so with any one of us after the meeting also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify. Um, please remember, if you ask, oh, please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on an on the OA podcast. Okay. Do I stand up first? Yes. Where is your and Where is your food like? Oh, it's the same for me. Um, I don't kind of understand the, that the difference, but for me, my food plan is well, I can tell you. So I have four ounces of protein. Do you want the whole rundown like that? The weight and everything? Okay, four ounces of protein, um, an ounce of oatmeal, six ounces of fruit. For breakfast, for lunch, I have four ounces of protein, uh, 12 ounces of vegetables, an ounce of oil, and a fruit, six ounces of fruit. And for dinner, I have the same as lunch except minus the fruit and plus three ounces of brown rice. And that's my food plan. Yes. yeah um my evolution of my relationship with my daughter she was always very angry at me which I don't blame her because I was drinking and eating you know until she was 19 is when I got absent. so and I she was the focus you know the focus of my life was on her so it was very difficult for her um and I was very selfish and you know wanted her it was all about me you know And um, so the only thing that I could do, like I said, was just keep my side of the street clean, which is for me is I made my amends to her and then I made a living amends, which is everything she does is great. I'm just like everything, no matter what. She went through divorce, separation, all that and i'm always on her side i'm always anything she does that's great honey you know blah blah so that's it and it's taken um you know 18 and a half years for her to not now she even answers my calls when i answer which she didn't do for a long time so it's taken a long time and all i did was keep praying and asking god to you know do something, you know, to, to take care of it, and and God does. God works miracles. I know that because I've seen them in my life over and over and over in these last eighteen and a half years. And um, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. hmm Thank you. Can you talk a little bit about your spiritual journey? What it was like and how it's evolved. And oh, yeah. Yeah, and so for me, I was raised Catholic, and I'm not one of those people that's mad at the Catholic Church, which I was for many years. But recently, I have, uh, there's a new leaders, so that's kind of interested me again in my own faith, as a matter of fact. But I've gone through many, um, you know, spiritual a lot of searching because my whole life I remember really wanting to have to believe in God I mean desperately desperately and I think we all are when we're eating we're you know looking for God for a spiritual solution and I couldn't get it I couldn't get it and I've done um you know, a lot of, you know, Eastern philosophy I'm interested in. All those things. To me, it's all the same because to me it's all God. But um, when I was new, I couldn't meditate for five minutes even. And now I have no problem meditating for, you know, a good period of time. I um, um, So, and seeing God work in my life and in the lives of others... Really helped me a lot, you know, to come to believe in a power greater than myself. So I really do have a belief in my higher power today that I never, um, that I never had. And um, I mean, like I say, I see him working in my life all the time. So it's concrete evidence to me. So, um, yeah. Thank you. Hi, Helen. Thanks for a great talk. Some people might hear your food plans and think that A it's not enough food and B it, it's horrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but because I know you, can you talk how it's just the opposite and then in fact mm-hmm. gives you freedom from mm-hmm. the bondage of food? Mm-hmm. Yes. It is enough. I don't get hungry um yes I (coughs) once upon a time I would have been well I spent those three years looking for a sponsor where I wasn't going to have to have a food plan so yes if you had told me what my food plan is but when I first got abstinent it was about the same exact same food plan that I have today um and it's plenty of food I don't get hungry I'm not like you know Starving to death or anything otherwise i wouldn't be abstinent and um so oh and it does set me free it does because when i know what i'm eating i don't have to think about the food i'm not in the obsession of the food i know what i'm eating i eat it and it's enough for me and then i can you know and you know the thing is the food thank god today isn't my solution god's my solution i've got a big book that's full of solution people in the program so yeah it really is for me it's enough and for maybe other people it wouldn't be but that's what works for me and um i don't eat sugar i haven't had sugar if you had told me i wasn't going to eat sugar for 18 and a half years i would have thought you were crazy because i couldn't go a day without shoving sugar down my throat and today you'd have to hold a gun to my head to make me eat sugar i could care less it doesn't even call my name and that is a miracle and that is the grace of god you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. thank you so much what would you say to someone who wants to be here but doesn't believe in god Well, I um, always wanted to believe in God. I don't think I've ever been an atheist, so I'm probably not a good person to ask. But I know that a lot of atheists are in the program, and you don't have to believe in God. You can believe in some sort of higher power. It can be the group. Like they say, it can be a doorknob. They say that in AA a lot, you know. So it can be whatever you need for it to be, then there's a whole chapter in the big book called To the Agnostic, you know, so that kind of explains that, how you can be here and maybe not believe in God. Thank you, Helen. What do you do on a daily basis to maintain your spiritual connection? Mm -hmm. Well, I pray. I uh, meditate. I try to meditate a half an hour every day. Sometimes I do more. Sometimes I do a little less. Um, I read 24 hours a day. I don't know if anybody knows that book. In the morning, and I try to read two pages in the big book at night, and I pray, and so. Mm-hmm. And I use the tools in the program. That's uh, something I forgot to mention in my talk. Was the tools are so important. Uh huh. Um. How do you deal with something being God's will when the result is really painful? Hmm. Well, let's see. I'm trying to think if I have considered anything to be God's will that was really painful for me. Usually my will, usually when I'm in a lot of pain, it's out of self-will. Um, so... You know, I guess that would be a matter of surrender. You mean like the death of a loved one or something or yeah, yeah. Well, I guess, you know, I have had loved ones die in this program. And um you know, I know it's God's will, uh sometimes their will. Um and if in the case of suicide of a friend and um that was very painful but you know God comforts me today you know so I don't blame God I don't try not to, I there are, I have to say there are days where I get mad at God because something's not going my way <laughs> the way I want it to go I do I have days like that I'm admitting I do you know I get mad and I'm like God why are, why aren't you giving me what I want but I get over it you know and I see that that's just my big old self, Well, but Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you address your relationship program at the program with God, I'm sorry. Could you please, re- please address uh, your relationship prior to the program and since you joined the program with God? Oh yeah. Well, like I mentioned before the program I had uh, a hard time. Um, I didn't have a personal relationship with God. Like, as a child, I did want to be a nun, but only because I liked the outfits. I did, and they were really nice. You know, people have these horror stories about nuns. The nuns were so, and I was like their favorite, and they'd give me special rosaries. And um, and um I loved the outfits because they were so nice and then they had the the chain you know the beads that and they'd walk and they had the cool boots and they sound so neat and and the beads swinging so anyway (laughs) um and they lived in a beautiful house so um but I so I always tried to believe in God and but I never could get that personal Relationship with God. Like, I wanted to believe in God, but I couldn't quite get there. And that's how my, I was searching my whole life, you know, I think we do, like they say, alcoholics, compulsive eaters, anybody who's an addict, well, who, what we're looking for is God, you know. And um, I try different things, I try and get different concepts of God. And one thing I can say today about my relationship with God is, I don't understand God. It's not a God of my understanding. It's a God I don't understand God. But I know there's a God. I know there is, but I don't understand what God is. So anyway, but I do have that personal relationship with God. Like I know when I'm praying, I feel like I'm talking to God. When I'm meditating, I can feel the presence of of my higher power. So, and I only got that in this program. Mm Mm-hmm. How do you love How are you using the steps to um, solve the thing you're going through? Oh, yeah. Well, mostly right now, of course, I look at my part. Yes, so that's the steps. I do an inventory on it, look at my part. Um I use the tools a lot too in go- what I'm going through, you know, making outreach calls to other people, to my sponsor, talking about what I'm going through. Um, and it's funny because the first place I learned to work the steps uh, when I was new was in the workplace because I was in a new job back then. I'm in a new job now. OK. And I spent so much time in the bathroom praying because I was newly abstinent, didn't know how to be an employee. I had no idea how to be an employee my whole life. So I learned that from the principles that I learned in this program, which were to go to work and rather than try to manipulate, spin the planet so other people would see me how I wanted them to see me, show up and give a good, honest day's work. And then I didn't have to do all that insanity. So I learned that in this program. And I learned how to deal with personalities, which was just to not take it personally. No, it's them, not me. And keep working my program, which was to show up, be pleasant, be helpful, no matter how they acted. And it really worked. It really worked. Um... I remember one man was very difficult, and he, I just, for two years, just kept showing up and being as helpful as I could. Two years later, he sends me an email thanking me for being so helpful and proactive and in, in everything. And that was a miracle, and that I only learned from the program, because I would have been, he's mean to me, and I'm going to, not help him when I could, you know, all that in sick stuff we did. So, anyway, so I'm having to do all that same stuff today. Just these principles that we get in this program, you know, the a way of living and the solution. So, thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. Could you? I don't know how much time is left. Not very you give much. Overview of how you um, work the steps. Sure, well, I've worked in many ways throughout my abstinence and in different programs, 12-step programs. I was told when I came here, more will be revealed because I thought I was just a compulsive overeater, found out, you know. I had other program issues too. So um, I've gone through the big book, done them in the big book. I've done them through the how questions. And I have to say I like doing it. Of course in the big book, um, better. So that's what I how I've done them following the as they're laid out in the big book. Yes. Hi. Thank you. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I was wondering what made you realize you weren't shy, but self-centered? Well, after I started working the steps, did my inventory and um you know because it was all about me I saw like it tells us in the big book it's one of the characteristics of addicts you know is that we are the world revolves around us we're selfish and self-centered and so I saw that and it wasn't about being shy I was just Completely and utterly self-centered and selfish and thought I was doing everything for everybody else and it was really all about me. You know, that's the thing. We get to look at our motives. That's the other great great thing that I learned in this program and I'm so grateful because I was the queen of hiding a bad motive under a good one I could make you do the most selfish things and try and convince the world that I was doing them for everybody else not for myself you know and with my daughter it was all about self-centeredness and you know and I presented it like I was just being a good mother you know and so, yeah, so that's, we just get so many gifts in this program, and that was a big one the modus, looking at our true motives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one no, no, one minute question. Yes. Yeah. you what the you you Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah yeah and I get those because you know I think after a while then we suffer from uh we're powerless over our thinking at least for me you know what I mean so um because when I'm not shoving food and alcohol down my throat I'm aware of my thinking and I do have those days you know and um so I pray and work the tools you know make outreach calls and um so yeah that's that's what I do thank God for the tools you know and the fellowship and it's such an important thing the fellowship is really important when I was new there in Long Beach we had a huge fellowship and um, and it was I think what kept a lot of us abstinent at the beginning you know that fellowship it really was important um, so because you know we come here and we want to have some fun too, and the fellowship is the fun part, you know. But um, yeah, and I talk to my sponsor a lot, you know, when I'm having those those days. And, um, yeah. We're okay. done.